a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Well, the headline is America's political violence problem is once again front and center after a man attacked House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband inside their home in San Francisco last week. Since that attack, of course, both sides of the political aisle have uh, began uh, the finger pointing, each blaming the other side for stoking the fiery flames of hate and contempt. But is all of this finger pointing, placing blame, shrugging shoulders, distracting us from the actual problem and the real conversation? Let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. Uh, we know that federal chi- uh, charges have been filed against the suspect in the uh, Paul Pelosi attack over the weekend. And this is just one more example of where we are way too hot in terms of our political rhetoric. And there's much more to it. Uh, obviously, there is a mental health component to this. Uh, there are many levels that we have to get to. So I, I don't want to conflate all of this into one conversation I want to take it apart and look at some of the different aspects of this and make sure we're getting to the right conversation and use this uh, horrible attack on Speaker Pelosi's husband uh, as just one piece of a more complex puzzle that if we don't put this right first, uh, there's no way that we get to the right conversations that will create results that will actually last. So how do we do that? How do we cool down the rhetoric? How do we get to the bottom of these kinds of cases And more importantly, what happens if we don't? What happens if we all just decide, well, that's just the way it is, or the country's just hopelessly divided, and the anger, fear, and frustration crowd are going to win the day, and that's just the way it is? Uh, And sadly, we also have to look at what are the ramifications of that in terms of public officials being able to be public. Uh, If they can no longer go out in public, if they can no longer uh, do things like show up at Little League soccer games or... uh, local events of any kind, then we're at a really different spot because the more we isolate those that we elect to represent us, if they're no longer able to be public servants in the public, uh, then then we've got a whole other set of issues that we're going to get to that will create all kinds of problems. Uh, this is one of those where you can say both uh, equal opportunity offend, offense is coming uh, or you can say that there's more to it. Uh, is it worse on one side than the other? Uh, I don't know what the quantitative analysis really looks like if you dug it all the way to the bottom and looked all the way down to the local levels. But we we do know there's just way too much of it. And both sides are guilty of that rhetoric. And I'm just going to give you a quick smattering of 
uh, what that sounds like. Because that's part of the problem is we become too conditioned to say, eh, oh, well, uh, that's just politics. So let's go through a, a rapid fire, a couple of pieces of sound that will give you some indication of the kind of conversations that are happening in the public square that are stoking that anger, fear, frustration and contempt. And again, contempt is the idea that someone else is worthless as a human being because they disagree with you. Uh, that it's not enough that they are wrong or that you disagree. It's that, that they are evil, that they are horrible, that they are worth less uh, because they don't fit into your mold of what is worthwhile. Back in 2020, the leader of the Senate, Chuck Schumer, uh, made these comments on the steps of the Supreme Court at an abortion rights rally. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind, and you will pay the price. Representative Maxine Waters uh, had this to say uh, last year during the trial uh, in the uh, Derek Chauvin murder trial of uh, George Floyd. What should protesters do? Well, we've we got to stay on the street, uh, and we've got to get more active. We've got to get more confrontational. We've got to make sure that they, they know that we mean business. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Uh, getting in elected officials' faces, uh, intimidate them when they're at restaurants or out on the street. Uh, that's part of the, the problem uh, and the challenge. Uh, actually want to go now to uh, Justice Alito, uh, who talked in the aftermath of the Dobbs leak and how justices uh, of the Supreme Court are now also uh, under assault and under uh, being targets uh, for assassination. The leak also made those of us who were thought to be in the majority in support of overruling Roe and Casey targets for assassination because it gave people a rational reason to think they could prevent that from happening by killing one of us. And we know that a, a man has been charged with attempting to kill Justice Kavanaugh. And we also know uh, that political ads uh, are constantly on the uh, the heightening of that divisive rhetoric. And it's interesting in relation to uh, Speaker Pelosi's husband. You know, Speaker Pelosi has been the focus of attack ads uh for well over a decade, probably longer, uh, that she is part of 
uh, those on the right, when they're running for office, they often use Speaker Pelosi as the reason uh, that the uh, Democrats shouldn't win because she will maintain power. Take a listen. This is just a little montage uh, from a a number uh, of recent ads. Nancy Pelosi has big plans for America. But first, she needs allies like liberal Tony Vargas. And Pelosi are breaking our country. And if Republicans stay home and don't vote, we're letting them. Pelosi can't make things this bad all on her own. She needs Dan Kildee, Pelosi's right-hand man. Get ready for the mother of all tax bombs. Pelosi and the president have declared war on working Americans. And the list goes on and on and on. Uh, and so it's interesting. So if you look at the Pelosi case, just as one example, again, this is this has been a steady mantra from uh, Republicans all across the country. Uh, and part of that, I think, is a testament to Nancy Pelosi's staying power. <laughs> She's still there uh, in the midst of all of that. She still holds the speaker's gavel. Uh, and sadly, I think over time, people just start to say, well, that's just the way it is. And, and we accept that. Uh, interesting, we're also not immune from uh, this kind of inappropriate behavior here in the state of Utah. Uh, You may remember not too long ago, uh, Utah junior Senator Mitt Romney was accosted and followed in an airport uh, by some people who were angry at him for what happened after the 2020 election. You were voted in as a conservative to represent the conservative constituents, period. It is. You're voted in to represent us. You work for us. Am I wrong? I work for the people of Utah. Exactly. And I am from Utah. I voted. I know there's a lot of people that didn't vote. All right. So that was part of that uh, scene at the airport. And so the the big question, the thing that we have to think again about in all of this, one, what is our role individually? That's where this starts. This isn't going to this isn't going to end by just giving every member of Congress uh, more uh, more security, which most of them don't have any. Only leadership really has security. They do have access to it if there is a specific threat made on a member of Congress, then the Capitol Hill police will uh, will take care of that and provide some security for them or for their families. But this is not a normal thing. Uh, and then if it if we go to that, if we say every member of Congress will have a security detail. Uh, then the next question is, is, OK, well, what comes after that? And do we end up with our local mayors and uh, county council people uh, with security? And is that what we've really come to? Uh, that we cannot have that kind of safety uh, for our elected officials. If our public officials can no longer be public officials, they aren't going to be very good public officials because they will officially have been disconnected from the people that they represent. We got to rethink this. We got to look at all the angles. We got to make sure we get to the heart of it so that our public officials can actually connect with the public. We'll be right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts.